Duck fans, good morning. It's 32 degrees in the Emerald City, and this is Locked On Ducks, your daily source for info, updates, and analysis of Oregon Ducks athletics. I'm your host, Jordan Long. You can reach me on Twitter at the Dustoff Guy. Please hit that subscribe or follow button on whatever platform you're listening to the show on. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Ducks, and send us a question using the hashtags #AskLodPod. That's hashtags #AskLodPod. And we'll talk about it on the air. A great way to support the show as well is to leave 5 out of 5 stars on Apple Podcasts. If you don't think I should get 5 out of 5 stars, leave 5 anyway. And leave me a review, tell me why, and we'll fix it for you. Later in the show, I'll be joined by Kevin McCormick, producer of World Renowned Sports on YouTube, to talk about the proposed change to the D1 transfer waiver policy. If you want to reach out to Kev, you can find him on Twitter at AukduClarus. That's at A-U-C-T-O-R-C-L-A-R-U-S. But before we get to that, I'm going to review the men's basketball game last night and preview the women's basketball game at Cal tonight. Now, on to the action. Well, first of all, Pritchard was trending in the United States on Twitter last night, which is kind of awesome. Despite what we're about to talk about, he's still the best player in the Pac-12 and literally in the conversation for Player of the Year. The Ducks fell to Arizona 77-72, to and in spite of some late-game heroics by Peyton Pritchard, let's take it from the top. Nefale Dante was listed as a starter, which we talked about yesterday, and fortunately was an error by ASU's clerical staff, and Chandler Lawson uh, got to start at center. Oregon opened the game ice cold, uh, shooting uh, 1 for 12 from the field. And after a few scores, Oregon was still 3 for 16, which included 1 for 7 from 3 to begin the half. Richardson caught Remy Martin, uh, the other best player in the Pac-12, with a couple of elbows. Martin went to the locker room early at that point, uh, bleeding profusely from his face. Pritt got into foul trouble early and was sat by Coach Altman at the 10-minute mark after getting two fouls. While Martin was out uh, with his bloody nose, ASU was 0 for 6, but they were still up 16 to 15 with seven minutes to go. Oregon shot around 30% in the first half and Went 6-for-12 with 10 turnovers with less than a little over a minute to go in the first half. Arizona State then went on a 7-0 run. The Ducks finished the first half with 11 turnovers, which gave ASU 13 points. Uh, at this point, the Sun Devils were up 34-23 to at the half. I mean, that kind of points off of turnover margin is just unacceptable and definitely has to a lot to do with why the first half went the way it did. Oregon opened the second half, starting to build some momentum, shooting four out of five, but then went ice cold again, making two of their next 11 shots. At that point, back-to-back threes from Pritt and a shot by Duarte brought the Ducks within three, and Chris got another and one as he was fouled making a layup, and the game got tied 54 with just over seven minutes to go. This is what Peyton Pritchard does, right? He he has a late-game heroic, scoring in double digits in the final minutes in multiple games to give Oregon the win when it's needed. Uh, we're going to kind of find out why that doesn't happen here in a minute. But over the next three minutes, Pritchard took over, allowing the Ducks to stay within two, scoring a three-pointer to bring the score to 60-58. Then Peyton gets his fourth foul around the four-minute mark, 
And at the two-minute mark, Oregon was still down 61-66 off of another uh, Pritchard three-pointer, which, you know, the, the five points isn't insurmountable. And with the the leading clutch player in the Pac-12, uh, we stand a good chance. But he fouled out on a stupid reach-in uh, foul, kind of at the half-court as he was running up the court guarding Alonzo Verge. At this point, the Ducks are continuing not to get rebounds, continuing to miss open looks. And with Remy Martin finally scoring his first points in the second half on a fadeaway jumper, the Ducks started playing the foul game, well, so to speak. I mean, not, you know, Ducks foul, but the game where they foul to try and get points to... Anyway, yeah. Bad joke at a bad time. In our last episode, we talked a bit about what a difficult and important game this is. Tomorrow night's game against Arizona is even more difficult and now even more important. But, you know, the Ducks take the 77-72 loss as a just what is a big disappointment. The Ducks could never get any real momentum going, and the Sun Devils controlled the game from the outset, pretty much. There were periods of ice-cold shooting combined with Peyton fouling out at the most critical moment, and the poor defensive rebounding performance... I think we're to blame for tonight. Now, Francis Okoro was dominant at the rim. He, especially when it came to offensive rebounds, and it's obvious why it's so good to have him back in the game. On yesterday's show, we talked about how congested the top of the Pac-12 is. This loss puts Oregon in fourth place in the Pac-6. Come Monday, though, we'll see how the national rankings are, are affected by this, and we'll have an idea of the standings based on what is hopefully a win over the Wildcats tomorrow night. Three years ago, freshman Sabrina Ionescu made a half-court buzzer beater to defeat the California Golden Bears, simultaneously announcing her presence with authority, so to speak, and as a force to be reckoned with. Tonight's going to be Ionescu's last time in Haas Pavilion in a duck uniform, and it's as important a game as ever. But before we get started... Uh, should let you know, Oregon junior Satu Sabli announced that she will forego the senior season in order to enter the WNBA draft. Good for her. Good for her. You know, we're going to get into the details of this and the fact that the Ducks are losing their four best players and the three bigs on the team this season in another episode. But in the tradition of bringing you the news and updates, this happened just yesterday. As for tonight, the number three ranked Ducks are heading to California to play the Bears. The Ducks enter the game on a 12-game win streak. Eight of those 12 wins came against nationally ranked opponents. The Ducks need to sweep the series this weekend against Cal and number four ranked Stanford if they want to share the top spot in the Pac-12. But with a cardinal loss, the Ducks will be at the top of the Pac-12. Now, Stanford is playing Oregon State tonight, and the Beavers will be looking to end a three-game losing streak. They lost to Stanford earlier in the season and split their series against the number 11 Arizona. The bottom line here is that it's anyone's ball game, but we'll be doing the unthinkable and hoping for an OSU win. Taylor Chavez might be back in the lineup. She was held out in Sunday's win over the Trojans due to a left foot injury. Uh, Coach Graves said it was precautionary, but she hasn't practiced all week. At this point, Chavez is averaging 6.5 points, 1.5 rebounds, and a steal in 20 minutes per game so far, which is pretty efficient. Her three-point percentage of 45.3 is actually second in the Pac-12. And it's that perimeter presence that's been so consequential this season. And, you know, we're going to address this later in the season, but Chavez is definitely one of the players to watch as this outstanding group of, up, of upperclassmen moves on into the uh, draft. All right, folks, that's going to do it for basketball for today. 
We got to get to the breaking news about the latest changes the NCAA is making to college basketball. It's the new transfer waiver policy. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be joined by Kevin McCormick from World Renowned Sports. Welcome back. This is Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Jordan Long. We've already talked a bit about men's basketball, and we talked a bit about women's basketball, and now we're going to be talking about rules, rules, rules. I'm joined by the producer of World Renowned Sports, Kevin McCormick. It's been a minute since we uh, got together to do one of these. How are you doing, Kev? Jordan, I'd like to begin with a story, if I may. Oh, I'd like a good story. The year is 1995. Everybody step back. I am a, a young freshman, high school football player, sitting in social studies class, and my teacher starts going off about free agency for some reason in the NFL. Free agency? I don't remember the exact context. Uh, it, it may have been the possibility of Barry Sanders going to a, a different team other than the Lions. It may have been Reggie White. That's a salary cap year, isn't it? I think it may have been. And it may have been Reggie White leaving the, the Eagles for the Packers. It may have still been Montana going from the Niners to the Chiefs, which was still kind of a big deal back then. Whatever the case was, this man was making the case that NFL free agency was going to wreck the system as we knew it. Oh, God forbid. And of course, this... Wise man, sage words prove prophetic, and the NFL died out, never to be heard from again. Yeah, gosh, I can't, I can't, I don't think, uh, I don't think I've seen a football game since, you know, some Sunday in 1997 or so. What's football? <laughs> Isn't that where you kick it to the goalie? Well, it's funny you should mention that, Kevin, because on the 18th of this month, the D1 Transfer Waiver Working Group, or Ditwig as I'm going to call them from now on, because I don't like saying all that other stuff. Proposed changes to athletic eligibility. It's called a one-time transfer exception. So a year ago, the D1 Board of Directors put a hold on transfer legislation because this came up and they put a hold on it and they established this work group who could come up with recommendations and they have dropped their recommendations. The current system is unsustainable. Now, this is John Steinbrecher. He's a Mid-American Conference manager, and and he's, and he's the head of this committee. He says, the current system is unsustainable. It's time to bring our transfer rules more in line with today's college landscape, which is 100% accurate. You see, currently, athletes have to sit out a whole year of competition after transferring schools, except in sports not named football, men's and women's basketball, baseball, and hockey. <laughs> now... <laughs> Right now, this doesn't apply, of course, to graduate transfers who are allowed to play on a transferring. Now, there there are criteria, of course, they have to have graduated. You know, uh, this year's Juwan Johnson is an example. Vernon Adams is an example. It also doesn't apply if the athletes get what's called a individual transfer waiver, which is approved by the NCAA. Is that what what Burrow and Jalen Hurts got? Yeah, they I, get these individual transfers. They, they didn't and, sit out at all. And actually, that's a really good point because. One of the current major concerns is that the high-profile athletes like those are actually receiving these individual transfers, and the none of the other athletes get these transfers. I'm 100% sure that's true. In fact, the current waiver process was designed for like extraordinary circumstances, unique circumstances. Even the NCAA at this point feels like it's being abused by the NCAA to favor top <laughs> athletes. So this proposal would... And, and I'm, I'm quoting now from the text of the proposal, change waiver criteria to allow approvals for first-time four-year transfers in all sports to compete immediately. Now, of course, they can't just say it straightforwardly and say they can transfer a uh, one-time transfer to any school they want. Right. Uh, there are four criteria that must be met to do this. They have to receive a transfer release from their previous school. So this part is a little more controversial than the others. You see, the, the transferring school has to give permission 
the outgoing school cannot block the transfer, but they can still block eligibility. Okay. Um, well, I, I certainly don't support that at all. I, I think they, they have to release them now. And if the coach says no, then they can go to the AD. And if he still says no, then, then they can go to the dean, I believe. Uh, but them being able to block eligibility, I wouldn't support that in the least. And I, I the only reason I, I would ever support that is like extreme malfeasance where it was obviously sleazy recruiting and like, oh, you know, you beat us last year. So we came and like swiped the player that was key to beating us, that kind of thing. Like that's the only time I would favor that. And you're absolutely right. Um, in fact, they invented the student athlete transfer portal. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yes. But before, uh, of course, the legislation they're looking at now, the transfer portal was there so players could contact other schools without actually having to get permission from their own school. Because this was abused so much, schools were actually denying athletes the opportunity to reach out to other schools. Right. And if they, if they find out that you are, they can pull your aid. Right, right. I mean, and this specific rule, I, I, I think, is controver- is, it's probably the one controversial point of it, right. is actually there like you said, to prevent tampering in extreme cases. Definitely. Uh, there's also, you know, and this this is interesting right now because um, Dante Williams, uh, one of our top recruiters, just went to USC. Now let's imagine for a moment that Dante Manning, someone that he was the primary recruiter for, wanted to go to USC. Well, if he was actually playing, right, and wasn't just a, a recruit right now, this could come up in interconference play where a recruiter goes to someone else in the conference and then there's this issue of, pulling all the talent off that other team when he goes. So there might be some local rules that have to be implemented in order to to deal with this specific point. Yeah, but by and large, I'm completely in favor of this as long as there's no recruiting involved. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know exactly how you'd enforce that because text messages happen, Instagram messages happen, like people are in contact with each other. But I, I completely favor this if it's the guy making the decision and not some sleazeball like pulling him away. Right, 100%. Uh, just the three other points where they have to leave their previous school academically eligible, maintain academic progress at the new school, and leave the previous school under no disciplinary suspension. Those are all pretty straightforward. Uncontroversial. Yes. Uh, so the new Ditwig, they have until April to gather this information, and that's when they're going to make the decision. See, the D1 Council's meeting is in April, and that's when they're going to decide on this. So this has been a fact-finding mission that's been going on since last year that they're just now announcing so that they can get the feedback. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that coaches might like it less than players. Uh, big time. Yeah, there's a, lot, there's a lot of coaches that are coming out against it, and... I'm kind of pro-player, pro-labor to the point of uh, vitriol, and I'm, I'm not doing that now because this is a <laughs> actual serious professional podcast, uh, but I, I'm almost always just on the side of the players uh, in almost every situation. I'm open to hearing arguments against why this is a good idea, but all the arguments that I've read uh, are pretty uh, poor, in my opinion. There, there was a Mark Richt, I think, that came out with, with a tweet. Uh-huh. He's not even coaching anymore. He's like a broadcaster. <laughs> right, right. He, uh, he said, okay, wait, let me get this straight. I'm going to put all this energy into developing a player, and then someone is just going to come poach him off my roster. And like I, I kinda, so says the coach turned uh, journalist. Well, right, right, and that's that's exactly why I'm saying like the only good ex- excuse against this is like these recruiters on your campus. Like you know, I'm, I'm like imagining like the 1920s cat burglar. Like he's got his, like, <laughs> his eyes covered. He's hiding outside a chemistry class with like a sack full of hundreds for hey Tua. You want to come play for Clemson? Kind of thing. Like. <laughs> As, oh. long, as long as none of that's going on, there's no good argument. Like, oh, oh my gosh, it's so funny you should mention that. Because uh, I read a, an, 
an article in The Athletic. And I highly recommend that the listeners check out The Athletic. It's well worth the subscription, in my opinion. But anyway, it's great. this article talked about the extreme case where the guys actually camped outside the, the university. Sure. Just like, you know, with the, like the cat burglar. I love that. <laughs> yeah, and, and this stuff happens. You, you know who came out in favor of it was uh, Jim Harbaugh. He's all for it. Yep, yep. Uh, I think that there's two sides to that coin, though. Harbaugh is uh, notoriously a player's coach. Uh, you could argue to a fault. He loves him. He supports his guys. And also, he's a big, nationally known name who probably a lot of people are going to want to come play right, for. So right. he's, he's a guy that's going to benefit from this. Urban Meyer's going to benefit from this. Nick Saban's going to benefit from this. I do think there's an argument to be made that smaller schools could benefit from this. But before we get into that, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break and come right back and uh, continue this great conversation about the one-time transfer exception rule by the Ditwig. All right, welcome back. This is Locked on Ducks. I'm Jordan Long, your host, and I'm here with Kevin McCormick, producer of World Renowned Sports, and we're talking... Dollar Store John Boyce. <laughs> we're, we're talking the, uh, the new one-time transfer exception. So before the break, I, I mentioned that there is a benefit to, to this to smaller schools, and I think there could be a case made for that, to where smaller schools could actually transfer talent among themselves. Perhaps a school that's well-known for developing talent, like, I don't know, North Dakota State or something comes to mind, they might be able to get a little more Boise notoriety. State. Yeah, there you go, right? So so you're going to get these schools that are going to get more notoriety because the talent they're developing moves on. And, you're, and people are going to look at those smaller, quote-unquote smaller, smaller schools and smaller conferences and say, hey, maybe there's something to this. It's going to bring them attention. That, that may be the case. I'd, I'd love to see, like a flow of guys who have outplayed D2 ending up in D1. Like uh-huh. that, that would be like the greatest thing that could happen with this. Like Now these guys just languish at their D2 because, let's face it, these guys are not even fully developed human right. beings when they come <laughs> into college, let alone like adults. Like So a guy was a, a lowly touted prospect coming out of high school, so he ends up at, you know, I don't know, Portland State. Right. Shout out Vikings. Uh, but then he develops to, into this crazy prospect, and it's like, well, he can't get any national attention. And, and he can't transfer. I, no. I think that's such a good point. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the it's funny. The Pac-12 spokesman said that they have not yet, quote, you know, formulated a position on this matter. Mountain West and the SEC commissioners say they're not even going to uh, come down on either side until a decision's been made, which is where they're going to have to come down on the decision anyway. You know, that, That's what we would have supported all along. Oh, right. <laughs> We're the winners. The current waiver process was actually designed for, and we mentioned this before briefly, but extenuating and extraordinary circumstances. Personally, man, I and I don't think I'm alone in this. I don't care why a guy wants to transfer. Let's say he is from, uh, I don't know, Segundo, California. And he's like, hey, you know, I'm going to give Texas A&M a try. And he gets there and he's like, man, college station sucks. This is just, <laughs> this is not for me. This is not my scene. I just want to go back and play for Coach Kelly in Inglewood. I want to be close to home. I'm homesick. I miss home. I miss the burritos at the corner spot where I used to get my burritos. I don't care if that's why he wants to transfer, personally. That's right. just me. It, whatever lets the athlete more fully develop and come into his own. Here, here. So it's actually kind of funny. Uh, Steinbrecher actually made the point that for those who previously transferred or don't qualify for the four criteria, that approval, if this takes place, approval is going to be based on, quote, truly extenuating and unique circumstances that threaten the athlete's health and safety, end quote. So, like, he's saying, well, this time we're going to, because we're implementing this, we're going to take the actual criteria seriously. 
Which is kind of an interesting... I mean, I'm, I'm joking about it, but it's an interesting point because the old system got to the point where the athletes' health and safety considerations were more about elite athletes being recruited into right. into schools and, and athletes who may have had issues being ignored. Is there an objective difference between extenuating and truly extenuating? Uh, I, I, yeah, I love this. Especially when you say truly unique. <laughs> I know, right? Like... One is a superlative. Come on. Something yeah. is either unique or not. You can be pregnant or truly pregnant. You know, Kev, this could easily be called essentially the free agency of college football, bringing it back full circle to the story you told at the beginning. Yeah. Some of the considerations that they had to make that led to this, I mean, coaches can move this whole time, right? Absolutely. Athletes outside of the five major sports. I'm. If someone wants to, you know, hit up the show at Locked on Ducks... On Twitter and explain to me why those five sports were exempted. I would love to hear it. Because they're not the money sports. Is there any other answer? <laughs> right. Yes. Is so, there any other answer? So this this truly deals with, in, in a sense, some of the corruption that occurs in the NCAA. Absolutely. That's it's it's so interesting. It's just it it's all taking place as part of this greater conversation of player versus coach, university organizational power. And they don't want to give the players anything. They never have, frankly. Right. That's why owners are so against free agency is because it starts a bidding war and suddenly these guys found out, oh, this is actually what I'm worth? Wow, I'd kind of like to make that. They don't ever want them to be aware of that. You know, I've harped, we, we've harped a thousand times about all those number eight Marietta jerseys right. that Phil Knight and Nike got rich off and that guy didn't see a penny. Who in the world thinks that's like a... Like an a, a, an equitable system. I, I hear people say, "Oh, oh, he got a, he got a free education or whatnot." And there's there's always that you know brilliant propaganda campaign about, oh, these spoiled, these spoiled diva athletes, and that's which of course has never ever been true. Uh, absolutely, it's, it's completely a propaganda campaign. You know, and you mentioned who in the world thinks this is equitable, and it was actually California who first enacted legislation that called you know BS on this issue. By allowing athletes to make money off their name and symbols. And Oregon has legislation working through the system right now to do the same. That's that's awesome. And it's... Absolutely. You know, uh, just before we finish up, uh, we did talk about how small schools and conferences are going to get poached. I kind of want to bring up or tie in a couple of reasons why uh, we could also call BS on that. You see, tampering has existed forever. And it's yes. this is pretty much the NCAA being honest with that. Yes. And we already talked about how small schools could benefit. And there have just been too many kind of incidental or minutia rules implemented into the system over the years to try and deal with this. That once the bigger or macro issue is dealt with by this new rule, all of those minutia legislation bits can can go away. Yes. You know, uh, we're out of time, Kev. I'm sorry. That's about it. Do you want to do any last thoughts before I wrap it up? Uh, you know, just that this is probably come about because of Burrow and Jalen Hurts. You know, they both uh, essentially got Wally pipped in their previous gigs. You know, uh, Ohio State was going to start Haskins, so Burrow said, I don't want to play here anymore. And then he went to LSU and had the greatest college season of all time. And Jalen Hurts sucked in that national title game, and Tua came in and won it for him. So Jalen Hurts said, I don't want to play here anymore. And then went to Oklahoma, and they were like, oh, wait, this guy is a first-round prospect. Is the NFL world better for letting those guys having transferred to new opportunities? I would argue absolutely it's going to be. Uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Do you want to remind the listeners where they can find you at? You can find me under the Hawthorne Bridge between <laughs> 2 and 3 a.m. Or on YouTube at World Renowned Sports. 
All right. Thank you, Kev. It's been, it's been a good time. Uh, hopefully we can have you on again soon. And uh, Thanks for having me, sir. Peace out, listeners. All right. That was Kevin McCormick from World Renowned Sports. He can be found on Twitter at AuctuClarus. That's at A-U-C-T-O-R-C-L-A-R-U-S. And you can check him out on YouTube at World Renowned Sports. This has been another episode of Locked on Ducks, your daily source for info, analysis, and updates. Don't forget to reach out to the show on Twitter at AskLodPod, that's hashtags AskLodPod, and get in on the conversation. Next week we have Mock Draft Monday, where I'm going to go into some mock drafts taken from the Draft Network's website. Awesome site. They have a mock draft generator that I'm going to use. We'll review them live. Looking to see which teams wind up taking ducks and at what positions. It'll be an interesting conversation, a lot of fun, and a great way to start off the week going into the NFL Combine on the 25th. 